This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Guys, we had started the first week of October, we started this series, Ghost Stories. And it's funny because, I don't think I told you guys this, but two weeks before I started this series, this was a marriage series. That's where this was going. And so... Um, Things change. And so, um, so we went this direction. I felt like we're supposed to talk on the Holy Spirit, and, and uh, a couple of people have told me. I, uh, actually, one of our elders, Dennis, was just telling me, a friend at work, and said, our church is doing a series called Ghost Stories. And it's just funny. I, I knew we were supposed to do this on the Holy Spirit. I thought, man, it's going to be the month of October. And so I searched online some catchy titles. I was like, oh, that's a great one, and made the art and all that, and then found out that Life Fellowship's doing it. And City Church did it last year, used the same one. And everybody's doing it in October for like the four weeks of October, uh, you know, going along with that. But, uh, but anyway, really kind of cool. But the Holy Spirit is something that I think that uh, we don't talk about enough. And I think there's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of contention um, and, and such when it comes to uh, doctrine regarding the Holy Spirit, uh, especially in different Christian sects and circles and, you know, denominations. And, you know, the world has these crazy ideas when you start talking about the Holy Spirit because they've seen some crazy things, Right? The world's seen some crazy things in the name of the Holy Spirit. And attention has been brought to these weird things that they've seen. And as we've talked about, you know, sometimes the things that the Holy Spirit does, sometimes things that the Lord does, is foolishness to the world. And it's foolishness to those who are simply ignorant of it. Everything was weird to us at some point in life as we were exposed to more and more new things. So we talked about how much of that spirit-filled life, you know, is, is misunderstood, and, you know, that's kind of what we want to talk about. I am going to do a brief, a, a real brief recap of, uh, of the last two Sundays because uh, more than ever, this has, been a, this has been a series that's really built, and um, we've had uh, quite a few of you here. I know some of you that don't understand the baptism, the Holy Spirit, different things like that, and so we started two weeks ago, started simply, we just debunked three myths about the Holy Spirit. The first one, first myth is that he's a, some mystical force. No, he's a person, right? If we look at him as just some mystical spirit or force, then we're denying his identity as part of the Godhead, as the third part of the Trinity. He is absolutely a person. He's no less God than the Father. He's no less God than Jesus. The Holy Spirit has a mind, a will, and emotions. We looked at that scripturally. He has a personality. He is not weird. Everything he does is on purpose and intentional. And the Holy Spirit is always available. Actually, going to number two. He just shows up when he feels like it. In the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon someone and empower them to do a work for a specific period of time that God called them to do. Then the Holy Spirit would lift from them, um, and they would no longer have that ability. So the Holy Spirit did come and go in Old Testament times, but, um, but Jesus, after Jesus, you know, and us receiving him, repenting, surrendering our lives to him, we are now in Christ and the Holy Spirit is with us. When we receive him, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, is the seal of our salvation. So the Holy Spirit is the person. He's always with us. And then the last thing was, he's not present only when you feel him. Now, we like the idea of Holy Ghost goosebumps. And maybe you've probably experienced that before where you felt the undeniable presence of the Lord. And that's an awesome thing. But sometimes we don't feel anything at all. And does that, make, does that mean that he's not there? Well, of course not. 
He's still there, ready to act and to move and to use you however he wills as you surrender yourself. While he does make his presence felt, the truth is that we don't have to feel something to prove it. Amen? Amen. Last week, I gave you a couple things. Actually, the question that we answered was, what is the role of God the Holy Spirit? And I basically summed it up. I said his primary function has always been to draw all of mankind to the Father through Jesus. Everything, absolutely everything the Holy Spirit does is to point to the Father through Jesus. And so I gave you two things under that. The first one was we see his function is to convict the world of sin. John 16, 8, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. We talked about how conviction is to prove or declare guilty of an offense. We have all been guilty of sin in our lives, right? We've all been guilty of sin. The Holy Spirit comes and he brings conviction, but it's not just to bring our sin out for all to see. It's really to show to us our desperate need for a Savior. Again, it's to point to Jesus. The Holy Spirit never brings condemnation. Why? Because condemnation is about judgment. He's pointing us to the one who already took the judgment for us. He doesn't need to bring condemnation. He doesn't need to heap judgment upon us. Jesus took our condemnation, our judgment, and he declared us free. That should be something to shout about right there. Every person that receives Jesus is born again because the Holy Spirit has been drawing them, and they finally responded to that draw. And as we mentioned, I talked last week, uh, one of the questions I told you I'd answer the first week that I answered last Sunday was, well, then what is the unpardonable sin? People throw around this blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And we talked about how, really, I believe it's just that continual rejection of the draw of the Holy Spirit in your life. We've insulted or blasphemed God, our creator, by rejecting his call and the sacrifice of his son for us. It's unpardonable. We commit sin in this physical life. We've got to repent in this physical life, right? And then the last thing I gave you uh, last week, function of the Holy Spirit to equip the believer to fulfill their purpose. The Holy Spirit unites us in Christ, places us in his body. The Holy Spirit enables us to live in victory over sin. He produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. And here's something I thought of in that. I, I talked about that last week. The Holy Spirit produces the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. You realize that's how the Holy Spirit draws the world to the Father? It's by the fruit of the Spirit coming out of you and coming out of me. It's that love, that's that heart of Father God that's coming forth. It's the Holy Spirit. So he produces the, whole, uh, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit is our helper. He's our counselor, our encourager, our mediator, our assistant, one who comes alongside. We went on, we talked about several things. The Holy Spirit brings back to remembrance all the things that Jesus taught. He can lead you into God's specific will for your life. He also helps us to pray. He's the revealer of truth. He reveals to us the things to come. He speaks to us, warns us, encourages us. The Holy Spirit delivers on God's promises in our lives. And the Holy Spirit is a gift giver, which is what we're going to talk about next week. So to continue on today, um, and just to mention, you should have had in your service guide, there should be a note sheet in there. You can follow along on that note sheet. Also, if you have the YouVersion Bible app, you can follow along. We have the notes uploaded in there, and you can follow along as well. So here's the thing. We've started real basic in talking about who is the Holy Spirit and what is his role, what is his function. And I think for the most part, much of the Christian church today would agree with much of what I have said thus far. Um, you know, we may have some minor disagreements, but I think most of what I said so far would, would be agreed with for the most part. So where's the problem? 
Where is the contention when it comes to the Holy Spirit? We all know where it is. It starts in Acts chapter 2. And you can go ahead and turn there in your Bibles. Because today, we need to talk about Pentecost. We need to talk about Pentecost. Acts chapter 2, many churches avoid this part of Scripture. Or they read it very quickly and don't expound on it. Or, um, or they just explain it away. But Acts chapter 2, verse 1 says, When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. So, when the day of Pentecost had fully come. Now, here's the thing. Y'all know there was 19 of us that got back a few weeks ago from Israel. And, and uh, you know, amazing the things that we learned. Many of us that have been believers our entire lives. The things that we learned and saw, you know, while we were there. But sometimes I think it's hard for us to relate with Scripture because we don't understand the culture and the time and the geography and, and all those different kinds of things. And so, you know, we say the word Pentecost, and it's funny, I, I bet most believers don't even really know what Pentecost is. I think when we say Pentecost, I think most think of Pentecostal in the world. Pentecostal. And, you know, you know with that said, <laughs> the things that come to mind when people think of Pentecostal. The world, as they're looking at it, they think, oh, is that them people that, like, the ladies can't wear pants, they have to wear dresses and don't wear makeup and, and speak in tongues all the time. People's preconceptions of things. People have asked us, are we Pentecostal? Are we Pentecostal? Pentecostal is technically denomination. We are non-denominational church, so technically no. Um, technically no, we are not, uh, we are not Pentecostal. But, um, you know, if by asking if we're Pentecostal, you know, you're asking, you know, a few questions like, do we fully believe in the person and work of the Holy Spirit? Do we believe in the fulfillment of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2? Um, do we believe that every believer needs a relationship with the Holy Spirit? Yes, we absolutely do. Um, our response would simply, be, would simply be that we believe everything that the Bible says. From cover to cover, from the table of contents to the maps, we believe it. Okay, And let me mention too, we, years ago, when I was a kid, we were part of a Pentecostal church for a while. I have no problem with Pentecostal church. I think Pentecostal church is awesome. They have a certain convictions, some do, uh, that maybe you don't share. There's other denominations that may have convictions that maybe you do or do not share. They're brothers and sisters in Christ, and we walk forward with them in the name of Jesus. Amen? So, you might not know a whole lot about Pentecost, but... Um, that's what we're going to talk about today. And actually, if we're going to talk about Pentecost, that's what I had down to talk about week three, was to talk about Pentecost and the Feast of Pentecost. To talk about the Feast of Pentecost, we've got to talk about the other feasts, which I bet most believers don't really know anything about. And so that's what we're going to, going to discuss today. Now, when we started uh, two weeks ago, I, um, I told you guys, um, especially those who are you, of you who are hungry and really seeking more about the Holy Spirit and the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I told you the best book I've ever read is The God I Never Knew by Robert Morris. That is an incredible book. The Holy Spirit just used him to write this book in just such 
um, simple, practical way that it's very easy to understand. And, um, and so I do encourage you guys, uh, if you have questions, to, um, to get that book. It's also, you can get it as an audio book through Audible and, uh, and follow along. But it, it really has touched me more than any other book I've ever read. I'll also mention this. Uh, as I was writing this, I had down, a few weeks ago, I had down to talk on week three about Pentecost. But I remembered a teaching in this book. Um, about Pentecost. It explains the feasts and stuff. And so I'm actually going to follow along fairly closely to that. And so if you do get the God I never knew, I encourage you, you know, as you get to that section, um, you know, to, to dig in and get the full understanding because it's amazing how once you understand the feasts and where Pentecost fits into it, how it brings this whole thing together. So, uh, so anyway, we're going to jump on in. Hopefully you're already, you're at Acts chapter two. We just read verse one. I'm going to read it again. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So again, so the Feast of Pentecost had fully come in the moment that this event occurs. Now, there was, there was, there was three major feasts in Israel. Actually, there still are. Um, you've got Passover, which was on the first month of their calendar. You had Pentecost which was on the third month of their calendar, and you had the Feast of Tabernacles, which was on the seventh month of the Jewish calendar. And interestingly enough, I don't know if you knew this or not, but the Feast of Tabernacles ends tonight for this year. Pretty interesting. So those are the three major feasts. Everybody got it? Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Now, you've probably heard that there are seven feasts. There are seven feasts, but there's actually three feasts contained within Passover. Then you've got Pentecost, and then there's three feasts contained within the Feast of Tabernacles. Does this make sense? Three, one, three, seven. Okay. So uh, each one of these feasts was a celebration, um, and starting with Passover, in Passover you had the Feast of Passover, uh, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, and the Feast of the First Fruits. So that was the very first. That was the first month of the year. Um, And then Pentecost falls 50 days after the Feast of Passover. Everybody got that? So then you've got the Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles includes uh, the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. So all three of those are contained within one. So the, and the Feast of Tabernacles is sometimes called the Feast of Booths. So the Feast of Pentecost, this is what we're talking about in Acts chapter 2, the Feast of Pentecost, it actually celebrated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai, um, which actually happened 50 days after the children came out, children of Israel came out of Egypt. So actually I'm going in reverse order. The Feast of Passover, anybody know what that represented? represented the spirit of death passing over the children of Israel. Remember the blood of the lamb on the doorpost? The spirit of death passed over the children of Israel. Fifty days later, the law is given on Mount Sinai. Everybody understand? So Passover celebrated the spirit of death passing over. Pentecost celebrated the giving of the law on Mount Sinai to Moses. Ten Commandments. Have you at least seen the movie? Yes. So, um, and then you had, um, like I say, the Feast of Tabernacles, and we'll actually, uh, we'll actually talk about that later on. So, um, so let's just jump into this on your note sheet. You can fill in on number one. What is Pentecost? 
What is Pentecost? So we're talking about it in regards to a feast, but what does, what does the word Pentecost mean? Pentecost is a Greek word, Pentecoste, and it simply means 50th. It means 50th. It falls 50 days after what? After Passover. So, kind of, I, I don't know, it's kind of weird. It's kind of like calling your dog, dog. <laughs> um, 50 days after Passover is the feast of the 50th, Okay. So in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when it says the feast, the day of Pentecost had fully come, it meant it was the 50th day after Passover. So here's where things kind of, here's where things kind of get weird. God knew that Jesus was going to resurrect the day after the Sabbath. Everybody understand that? The Sabbath is weekly, right? Friday night, Saturday night. Jesus rose on Sunday, the day after the Sabbath. Jesus, after that, once he rose, he would walk the earth for 40 more days, right? And then he would ascend into heaven, but he commissions the disciples, and so they, for 10 days, wait in Jerusalem and pray. So how many days went by? 50 days went by. From Jesus' resurrection to Pentecost. So here's the thing, if you think about it, Jesus died on Passover. So actually, the numbers don't add up. The Holy Spirit did not come 50 days after Passover. The Holy Spirit came 50 days after the resurrection, which was the day after the Sabbath. Jesus was raised from the dead on Sunday. So God knew this would happen, and so he put something interesting in the law, because here's what I didn't mention before. The feast of Passover could start on any given, any given day of the week. It's kind of like we celebrate Christmas. Um, we always have to look at a calendar and figure out what day of the week it's fallen on this year, right? It was the same. It's the same with Passover. So it could fall on any given day of the week and obviously end on any given day of the week. Um, so in Leviticus 23, if you go back to the law, how many of you have read Leviticus how many of you just love reading Leviticus? You read it along with your one proverb a day. No, I don't either. Leviticus is all about the law. But here, if you look, actually, we're not going to turn to it right now, but in Leviticus chapter 23, God puts in this, this little thing in there, which is very interesting, and he tells them not to start counting the 50 days to, to Pentecost until the day after the Sabbath on the week that, that Passover ends. Everybody's looking confused. Are we getting it? So no matter what day Passover ended on that week, they didn't start counting the 50 days to Pentecost until the day after the Sabbath, until Sunday. Then they would start counting the 50 days. It's the only reason it all lines up. Is it amazing? Guys, it blows my mind. So no matter what day it ended on, they started counting 50 days Pentecost after the day of Sabbath, and God commanded this. It was 1,000 to 15 years before Jesus was ever born. So God knew that Jesus would walk the earth for 50 day, 40 days after the resurrection, and the disciples and other followers of Christ would pray for the next 10 days, and then he sent the Holy Spirit on exactly the 50th day. So why? Let's take that to number two. What happened on Pentecost? What happened on Pentecost? So I'm actually going to skip a couple of verses. We're going to jump down, and then we're going to come back in a minute. But if you go to verse 5, 
Here's what actually happened. They were, and there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Now, the first part of that says there was dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. Why were they all there? It's Pentecost. It's Pentecost. Those three times a year, Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles, the Jews would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate together. So they've all just arrived in town to celebrate this feast of Pentecost. That's who all these people are. They've come to celebrate. And it says here that they are confused because they hear this group of folks, they're speaking, and everyone understands what they're saying in their own native language. That's pretty awesome again. So here's something else interesting to, to look at in here. This was brought out in the book of God I Never Knew, something I'd never thought about before. How many of you remember the Tower of Babel? The Tower of Babel, we find that story in Genesis chapter 11. And up until this moment, every human being on earth had spoken the same language, right? So... They've all, spoken, they've all spoken the same language up to this point. They're building this tower, and at the Tower of Babel, they're gathered together in pride. On the day of Pentecost, they were gathered together in submission. Jesus had commanded them to go and to wait. At the Tower of Babel, they were gathered in pride. But on Pentecost, they were gathered in humility. At the Tower of Babel, they spoke one language, and God came down and confused their languages. It says he confused their languages and scattered them to every nation. On the day of Pentecost, God restores a pure language. And it said everyone understood the wonderful works of God in their own language. Pentecost is the blessed reversal of the curse of Babylon. Babel. Sorry. Does that make sense? Hope you're getting this. Y'all quiet today. So all these people from all these nations, they hear the wonders of God in their own language. And by the way, you may not realize this, but that's exactly what heaven's going to look like. Every tribe, every nation, every language, every color, we're all going to be there worshiping and praising God together. Isn't that right? And we see it begin at Pentecost. So if you remember, we had Passover and then we had Pentecost. Pentecost was the giving of the law at Mount Sinai, right, to Moses. Here's something interesting. On that day, y'all remember when Moses went up the mountain to get the Ten Commandments? It says that there was a loud noise. God wrote his law that a cloud descended. It says that there was fire. God wrote his law in tablets of stone. And if you also remember, 3,000 people died on that day. Moses got down the mountain and said, who's for the Lord? Come to me. And 3,000 people died right there. On the day of Pentecost, there was a loud noise. And the Holy Spirit descended. And there was fire. And God wrote his law in men's hearts that day. And 3,000 people were saved. You see it? The day of Pentecost 
that we talk about in Acts chapter 2 was fulfillment of the law. See, if you go back to Mount Sinai, the day God gave the law, the people were all, they're already violating it before Moses can get down the mountain. Right? But when the Holy Spirit comes, the Bible says that he writes his standard on our hearts. Jesus came to make us in right standing before God because we couldn't do it on our own. The Holy Spirit comes so that we can live righteously. And he empowers us to live a righteous life in the sin-filled world. This is what we call baptism in the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit today. Third thing I want to mention, number three. Can I experience Pentecost? Can I experience Pentecost? Can you individually, you yourself... Can you experience what happened to the followers of Jesus on the day of Pentecost 2,000 years ago? Let's go back a couple of scriptures. Back in Acts chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. And then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Can I experience what the followers of Jesus experienced on Pentecost. A couple things I want to look at if you look at this scripture. One, the word divided, I looked it up, it's a Greek word I'm not going to try to pronounce, but it means to partition thoroughly. It means to distribute. So it's not talking about division. It, it's, just, it's talking about that one was given to every individual. Every individual had a tongue of fire. Okay? And I want you to understand, it wasn't just the disciples of Jesus. It wasn't just the apostles. The Bible tells us there was 120 people in that room. Some people will tell you today that, oh, that's just for the apostles. There was 120 people in there. And it, it, tell me if I'm wrong, but verse 4 it says they were all filled and began to speak. By the way, some people won't tell you this. There were women too. You go back to chapter 1, you see it. There was, there was, there was women there too. So, divided tongue simply meant that everybody got one. Everybody received. So, as we continue looking at this scripture, there's a word in here. Another word that can kind of freak people out. The word tongues. The word tongues. Now, it's a scary word to a lot of Christians. Because of their upbringing, because things they've been taught and learned Guys, it's nothing to be afraid of. How many of you know God's word contains nothing to be afraid of? There's nothing in God's word. If, if something you've been taught, something you've been raised to believe makes you afraid of God's word, something's very wrong. Something's very wrong. The word tongues there in verse 4 is simply, it's just the Greek word glossa. It's where you get the word glossary. It just means language. That's all it means. Uh, the word tongues has gotten such a bad rap in the world today that I, I rarely refer to speaking in tongues anymore. I usually say pray in the spirit or something because people, you'll see people immediately. Oh, y'all those that speak in tongues? 
So, it's, so it means language. They began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. All the people heard the wonderful works of God in their own language. Not a scary thing. So you got 120 people up in this room. So if you had been there, you could have looked out and you would have seen 119 tongues of fire around you on top of people's heads. And if anybody in that room looked at you, they would have seen a tongue of fire on top of your head. Amazing thought that potentially you could see everybody else's, but you couldn't see your own. Kind of interesting thought, huh? Because how do we receive Jesus? We do it by faith. How do we receive the Holy Spirit? We receive it by faith. You can't see the tongue of fire on your head. You just got to trust and believe. Holy Spirit, trusting and believing when you receive Christ that you're saved. So when we receive the Holy Spirit, we've got to trust and believe that he fills us and empowers us. Amen? Amen. So there's 120 people in the room. This baptism of the Holy Spirit, baptism of fire, wasn't just for the 12. It says it was for everyone. And then if we go to... um, in verse 4, actually, let's go back, to, go, go to Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 1, uh, just before this, verses 4 and 5, this is just before Jesus ascends into heaven. And we know that he gives the great commission, right? Go into all the world, preach the gospel. But then he says, hold up though. And it says, and being assembled together with them, verses 4, being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the what? The promise of the Father. You have heard from me, for John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Guys, people have said right here that when he says the promise of the Father, that it's referring to all kinds of other things. He answers it in the next verse. The promise of the Father, which you heard it from me, yeah, John baptized with water, but you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. The promise is the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Do you see it? So in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and we know that it calls quite, quite a stir. You have all these people from all these nations gathered together. They're hearing the wonderful works of God in their own language. And then Peter stands up and he gives the first sermon about Jesus. He stands up before that crowd of 3,000. And it says, the Bible says that they were, the people were cut to the heart. That's that conviction we were talking about last week, right? The Holy Spirit's working on the crowd outside that upper room too. Holy Spirit's working on them. He's preaching the gospel. Holy Spirit convicts them. It says they were cut to the heart. And they said, so what do we do? If you go to verse, uh, in chapter 2, go to verse 38. And this is Peter's response to them. It says, then Peter said to them, repent. And let each each one of you be baptized. It's talking about water baptism there. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, for the remission of sin, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So understand, it's kind of weird the way it's worded here. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. One, the Holy Spirit's not giving a gift. The Holy Spirit is the gift, okay? Um, Also, it's saying here, 
It's not saying here that you receive it automatically. I'm just going to receive the two and say that, oh, well, if I repent and if I get water baptized, then I'm just going to receive the baptism. It's actually, you see a little semicolon there? He's coming back. It's another command. And you shall be filled with the Holy Spirit. So he's saying, repent, surrender, baptize, get baptized in water. Be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then verse 39, it says, for the promise, what do we just read the promise was? Baptism in the Holy Spirit. It says, for the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. You may say, well, I wasn't around 2,000 years ago. Guys, are you questioning whether you can receive it today? Jesus says Holy Spirit baptism is for you and for your children and all who are far off. How many of you are far off? (laughs) And he wasn't saying just to them and their children. He's saying all your descendants after you, as many as God will call, all of them, it's available. He's telling them to do it, receive it. As many as the Lord our God will call. How many people do we have in here the Lord has called? We got a lot of unsures. We need to do an altar call. You remember, um, remember the three feasts? What was the first one? Passover. Second? Third one? Okay. Here's the, here's the cool thing to look at. Guys, Passover was fulfilled the day Jesus died. It was fulfilled. On Passover, every year, they would kill a spotless lamb for the sins of the people. By the way, they would cut that lamb's throat at 9 o'clock a.m. Look and see what time Jesus was nailed to the cross. It was 9 o'clock a.m. It's in there. At 3 p.m., this lamb would be dead. They would prepare it, and they would put it in an oven. Guess what time they took Jesus down? 3 p.m., they took Jesus off the cross. They prepared his body, and they placed it in a tomb. What a coincidence. Passover. What a coincidence. He completely fulfilled Passover once and for all. Once and for all. Interesting thing then is that during Passover, you know, the father in the house, he would also, he'd get a loaf of unleavened bread and he would hide it somewhere in the house. We talked about that when we were in Israel. And then the day after Passover, they they still do it. The father pulls that hidden piece of unleavened bread out and waves it before the Lord as a first fruits as a symbol of the first fruit to the harvest, the day after the Sabbath. So on that morning, as all the men at their homes were pulling out that piece of bread symbolizing the first fruit to the harvest, Jesus was coming out of a tomb, representing the first fruit to the harvest that's to come. Can you see the fulfillment of Passover? So Passover 
has been fulfilled. Let's skip Pentecost for just a moment. Let's go to Tabernacles. The Feast of Tabernacles has not been fulfilled yet. The Feast of Tabernacles, if you, if you remember, I mentioned it includes the Feast of Trumpets, the Feast of the Day of Atonement, and the Feast of Tabernacles. Has not been fulfilled yet, but it will be fulfilled one day, and a trumpet will sound. And there will be a judgment, but because of the atonement of Jesus, we will, you could say tabernacle, means dwelling place, we will be in the Lord's presence forever. So, you can see it, right? You see the fulfillment of the Feast of Passover. How many of you would say that you have experienced the fulfillment of the Feast of Passover? It simply means that you have received Jesus. You've repented and received Jesus as your spotless lamb. How many would say that you are part of the fulfillment of the Feast of Passover? How many of you believe that the day that trumpet sounds, you will experience the fulfillment of the Feast of Tabernacles? Then why is it? So why is it that we're taught that we can't experience the fulfillment of the Feast of Pentecost? Why is it? Guys, you can experience it. can be filled with the Holy Spirit. You can experience it today. You can be filled with the Holy Spirit just like the 120 that were in that upper room. And actually, I, I thought of one more thing I added real quick last night. In Acts chapter 19, you guys may remember this. I, I, it's not in your notes. I put it in too late. But um, Paul is coming along and it says, And it happened while Apollos was in Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. What are disciples? We're not talking about the 12. It was just they were followers of Jesus. Okay? And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Guys, it would have been pointless for Paul to ask, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe if you were automatically baptized in the Holy Spirit when you were born again? It makes no sense whatsoever. It says that they were disciples. They'd already received Jesus. The Holy Spirit was already the seal of their salvation. But Paul says, you need one more thing. And actually, if you look on down, uh, it goes on to say that he laid his hands on them and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And it says they began to speak in other tongues and prophesy. These aren't the apostles. These are common folks who made a choice to follow Jesus. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Next week, we're going to talk about living the Spirit-filled life and what that looks like. 
Next week, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. Because in this, you know, all we've really mentioned today is tongues because it was generally the, the first evidence. The tongues of fire and speaking in other tongues. Uh, really, it's the only reason we've dug into that today is because that's the first evidence we see as far as, um, you know, what happened actually on Pentecost. So we're going to get more into that next week. But my question is, it may have drawn you, Holy Spirit. You may be saved. The Holy Spirit may have drawn you, and you may have accepted that draw. You may have repented and received Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life, accepted him as the spotless lamb that took your judgment. Holy Spirit comes in, becomes a seal of that salvation, but now have you received him? Have you received his baptism? Let me do this. As we, I want to, I'm going to close out. Let me, let me get y'all just go ahead and stand up. And let me, I, I want the worship team to go ahead and come up. Guys, over the next couple weeks, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Spirit and the power that comes with being filled with the Holy Spirit. But I believe there's some here today that are ready. And this is your moment. As we get ready, we're going we're gonna to pray together here in just a moment. We're going to sing one more worship song before we dismiss. But as we do that, I want to ask our, um, our pastors and elders to, to come down to the sides and, uh, and, and be ready there to pray um, with whoever comes. So we're talking about the Holy Spirit. How do you receive the Holy Spirit? Guys, you just ask and you receive by faith. You did it to receive Jesus. You asked, and you received salvation by faith. Same thing. Same thing you do to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's the thing. Just like with salvation, you got to mean it, guys. You got to be at a point of surrender. I know people who have, would say they have tried to receive the Holy Spirit, but they were struggling and saying, yeah, I want the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me. I just, I just don't want to be like that guy over there. He's really weird. And I don't want to change this. And I don't want to have to do that. And if you're cool with that, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Hey, people do it with salvation all the time. You got to be a place of surrender. With that in mind... We've got to think about the way we come to them. Because look, you may be here and you have not experienced the fulfillment of the Feast of Passover. Let's go there for a minute. Let's bow our heads. Guys, you may have been a Christian your whole life or thought you were but you recognize right now that you've never truly surrendered your life to Jesus. You recognize that you never really repented and turned from the old life. This is your moment. You can rededicate your life to the Lord. You can allow your old self to be crucified with him, become that new creation. You can respond to the Holy Spirit's call. You may be here and you never really have. Maybe you. Maybe you just grew up in the church and you thought, well, as long as I go to church, I'm good. You may have been, I don't know, you may have been baptized in your grandma's church when you were little. 
Guys, it doesn't save you. It doesn't save you. Spirit baptism doesn't save you. Water baptism doesn't save you. It's repentance and surrender that brings salvation. With every head bowed, if that's you and you're here and you would say, you know what? I have got to I have got to surrender today. I'm done doing this on my own. I'm done being an utter failure. I need help. I need a savior. I need a redeemer. I need that spotless lamb. Take this judgment, this guilt, this shame that I've carried for too long. If you're here and you need to give your life to Jesus, I'm not gonna embarrass you. Just lift your hand and say, yes, I need to surrender my life to Jesus today. Who in this place? Say, I need to surrender to Jesus. All right, we're going to pray a prayer, and we're just going to, we're just going to pray it together. And I want you to understand something. I, I, I'm just reiterating again. You got to mean it. You got to mean it. You may notice Peter didn't lead them in a prayer of salvation. We're about to do it, and it's a good thing. But back in those days, they just simply repented and followed. Left their old life behind. You gotta be ready to do that. But you're gonna step into your purpose. You're gonna step into what you were created for and your life will change forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your Holy Spirit that has drawn me, that's pulled at me my entire life. He's been drawing me to you. And today I declare that I'm done. I'm done living life for myself. I'm done living my own way. I give up. I surrender. Today I repent. I, ret- I, I turn from my sin. And I turn to you. I declare you're my spotless lamb. I declare that you are Lord of my life. And I will follow you all of my days. Holy Spirit, fill me, empower me to be everything that you've called me to be. I'll follow you all the days of my life. No looking back. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277. You are Lord, I'm a sinner.